usually the best supported plans are not ones that hatched out of some grand moment of a vote, but, but rather uh, through many small points of agreement. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Western Planner Radio, a podcast where we try to connect with planners around the West, learn from each other, and try to build up the West together. I'm your host, Paul Moberly, editor for the Western Planner, and our guest today is Joe Dills, Senior Project Manager for Angelo Planning Group based in Oregon. Joe was named the Western Planner 2020 Planner of the Year. Hi, Joe. Thanks for taking the time. So how did you get into planning? Well, it started with college. Uh, I went to school at Oregon State University in Corvallis, Oregon, a wonderful place to live. And um, in uh, the mid-70s, it was a time when Oregon had just passed its landmark uh, statewide planning program laws. And... Uh, Oregon State University had a geography program that interested me. Uh, I took a few classes in which the curriculum that intersected with land use, um, as well as uh, other things that they were teaching, kind of took hold. And um, when I graduated, uh, I was able to get a job in um, a council of governments on the Oregon coast and um, we did estuary planning and my first experiences working for a planning commission and writing staff reports and all of that. And um, I've been an Oregon planner ever since. Are you from Oregon originally? I grew up in San Francisco, very urban experience there, obviously. Uh, And um, it was a great place to grow up in in the 60s and um, I just went to Corvallis uh, a little bit on a whim, uh, took a tour one summer with some friends of colleges in the Northwest. Um, I already knew about colleges in California, so um, mostly for fun, but also to explore a little bit. And just rolled into Corvallis on a beautiful sunny day and uh, thought, yeah, this will work. So uh, that's how I, I came to Oregon. And Um, And then the the career here has been uh, one that has definitely kept me here. And this has been a base. I've done work um, in uh, in Utah and Idaho and Washington and and then internationally as well. But most of it has been uh, basically within about three to five hours from from my home in the Willamette Valley. Was that work outside of Oregon with Angelo Planning or a different firm? Uh, it was with a previous firm uh, that I worked with, uh, OTAC is their name, um, and um, yeah, I worked in McCall, Idaho on, on their comprehensive plan and some, uh, and some uh, code updates, uh, did some code work in Logan, and then um, along the way, um, OTAC grew a practice in Abu Dhabi, and so there was four years of traveling to the Middle East and working on um, plans uh, for their state planning agency there. That's awesome that you were able to plan in the United Arab Emirates. So in a previous chapter in my career, I spent some time in Dubai and and thereabout. And the development there is such a juxtaposition of like a a new 
hyper-modern experimental architecture, um, and then city building um, pushed against these older, dense forms. It's such an amazing and fascinating place. Yeah, it is. And um, it's um, it's kind of a mix of, of very progressive, you know, aspirations of what to do. And then um, the, um, the dependence on natural gas that they are and a uh, very different cultural situation in here. So can you describe a mentor or someone you admire that has made an impact on your career? Um, for me, it, you know, what comes to mind with that question is actually sort of a group of people that I've worked with. Um, and I would point to, uh, to the urban designers and the landscape architect planners who practice what I call tabletop design. It's this ability to sit around a table with a map in front of you and a group of people and, and sketch ideas and try and critique a planning issue or a question that's on the table and, and actually physically draw ideas and solutions in front of the group and then collaboratively kind of move it along and evolve it and, and build consensus around it. And for an urban designer, it's, you know, drawing a town center or laying out a neighborhood or whatever site plan. But that kind of um, process and the, the, the people that are skilled at it has really taught me the, the value of, of this collaborative planning forum where you can take a small group or a large group and, and connect visual uh, sketching and idea generation with building consensus for a solution. By that, I'm assuming that landscape architecture or urban design is not in your background, right? So my, you know, my background is as a general planner and, and it came out of a geography kind of educational program. So what I'm describing is, is people who can draw. Um, who have the skills of architecture or landscape architecture, urban design. But, um, you know, thinking about it, about how it has been a, a bit of a mentor influence to me is that that ability to kind of get everybody dialed into a, um, a idea generation that is being sketched in front of you it's just had broader application for me. So uh, I'm not the guy to draw the town center, but, I'm, but um, the, I am the guy to, to, to put a diagram in front of uh, a group and try and kind of use that as the basis to explore questions and, and hatch planning solutions. You admire and are inspired by a whole skill set of some people, that's interesting. So what then is your favorite part about planning? Hmm. Um, I, like the, um, I like the connection between physical planning and, and, and designing cities and trying to get the community to have their voice in how that's done. So consensus building, uh, group process, and how it, how it connects to um, 
the design of cities and neighborhoods is is kind of my thing. I'm I've spent a lot of time working on walkable neighborhoods and um, and uh, trying to promote smart growth and sustainable kinds of of city plans and I I just like that. It feels right to me. It 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 feels like it creates lasting places um, and kind of taps into um, taps into uh, some sort of core value of mine. I, I probably would have been a, a good guy in the in the city beautiful movement way back when because I, I like that style of planning. That reminds me, some people refer to themselves on a spectrum between being a process planner and a technical planner. So I'm not totally sure if that's an accurate framework, but if you were to place yourself on that spectrum between process and technical planning, where would you sit? I'm, uh, I'm probably uh, a little bit, uh, probably three quarters way uh, between process and technical and moved towards the process end. Um, but the, all of the work that I do has, um, has physical planning associated with it. Um, it has uh, the design of cities, the layouts of, of transportation systems, the, the looking at transportation options and choices. Um, you know, we're working on the promotion of uh, missing middle housing a lot nowadays. And uh, even in that realm, um, our approach to it is to do site studies and, and provide a visual element of it, which isn't really technical work, but it takes technical skills and it's not just talking about it. It's really trying to uh, use the, use the uh, design process to inform policy decisions or in our case, code decisions. Yeah, planning can be such a broad field that I'm unsure what wouldn't be included sometimes. And, and we can range from a concrete building permit approval to a more abstract community organizing um, endeavor. So in the, the land use realm, our approaches or methods do have a physical impact. So you are a more seasoned planner. <laughs> Thank you. Nice choice of words. What advice would you give to newly emerging planners? Well, I've got a, a kind of a small one, but tried and true. And that's uh, always visit the site. It is so tempting with street view and all the great online mapping we have and, and of course, busy schedules and such. I mean, you can go from start to finish in a project without spending much time actually at the place that you're working on. And uh, my advice is overcome that. Get, get in the car or get on your bike and go there and experience the place. Uh, I can't tell you how many times I have done that and just run into somebody locally in the community that ended up giving me a new perspective. So always visit the site is one. Um, another is uh, what I call, and my, my friends in Bend have learned to call, look for the big rocks. And what that means is when you're, when you're working on a planning issue of some sort, try and identify the most fundamental drivers about it 
first. Like, what, what's the council telling you that they would like uh, addressed in this problem? What are the community's priorities that you've heard, say, in stakeholder interviews or whatever? What are the data drivers? Um, what is inspiring about a particular place that is fundamental to a plan? And any one of those can be the big rocks. But if you can ask that question and try and get to that, then from there, the alternatives, the solutions, the details will usually follow. So look for the big rocks. The foundational or pivot points around which the rest can move. Exactly. Yeah. And I found it's a good collaborative question to ask, you know, if you're um, sitting around with your colleagues or or community group pose that question and it usually uh, leads to some, some pretty interesting discussion. Do you have some advice that was given to you which was similarly influential? A couple of things come to mind. Um, in the world of, uh, of facilitation and working with community groups, there's, there's a maxim to, uh, to listen more than you talk. And um, that may sound funny for even a facilitator role, but it's, it's super important. Uh, so that's been uh, uh, an important one to me. Um, along the way, uh, I learned a, a little visioning technique. Um, it's not a secret, a lot of people use it, but it, it's a little story uh, question that works pretty well. Uh, when you're trying to get people to envision uh, a, a positive future. And, and the prompt goes like this. I, I imagine that you have left your community to go off to a South Sea Island or something for, for 20 years. And you come back in 20 years. And the plan that you are working on now has been adopted. And it's been built. And it has really worked. People are very jazzed about it. And you're walking around in this community that has been created by it. And you really like what you see. What is it that you see? And if you, if you, if you lay out that little story and, and get the group talking about what they envision as a positive outcome of their work, it, uh, it usually hatches a bunch of ideas that find their way into the final report. That reminds me some of an appreciative inquiry approach where you focus on augmenting the positive things in your community by asking questions like, what is going well and what are we doing well and how can we do more of what we're doing well, right? Versus what do you need to improve or what is broken here? Not that an approach, you know, a positive approach works in every instance, although the questions we ask take us down very different moods and ways of thinking some very constrained, reactive, and negative. Well, and I, I recently had a conversation with a, uh, a guy who um, is uh, central in diversity training and equity and inclusion kinds of consulting. And he said the same thing. He said, you know, there's so much guilt and negativity and, and bad vibes that are kind of built up around those topics right now. And it's his job to come into a town 
um, or, you know, a department within a city or whatever and, and train them. And he says he just uses as much positive phrasing as possible. Uh, yeah. That sounds like training I received at the Northwest Community Development Institute. So are, are you familiar with that? No. Oh, okay, cool. So I, I, I think you'd like it. Um, it's, it's part of a nationwide network of community development institutes, but um, I, I would go up to Boise. That's where they, they hold it here for the Northwest. But it's a roughly five-day annual training for three years. But each year we receive diversity training from Sam Bird of Diversity Works. And he approaches these sensitive topics with this great disarming humor and insight and really helps establish that safe environment to, to start hard conversations and self-examination about you know, how we feel about diversity and our own biases. And so as a community facilitator, that is a skill that is increasingly needed. Yeah. Yeah. It's about building trust in, in, you know, even in the discussion setting of, of a community meeting where um, if people feel like they're being listened to, if the meeting is a meaningful way of having opportunity to, to advise on a project, then that's a step towards trusting the outcomes. Yes, community engagement as both building consensus around direction, but also building acceptance of change. Any other advice? I've got one more, uh, one more best advice one. I, 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 had a, uh, I had a boss one time that used to say, don't hide the skunk. And what he meant was, you know, everybody makes mistakes from time to time or problems come up. And when you're in that situation, just just own it, admit it, analyze it, and, and fix it, and move on. <laughs> so have there been a few skunks in your time? Oh, everybody's had skunks. The, the, the difficult community meeting, uh, you know, the, uh, the inability to, uh, the, the recommendation that didn't go over well. Uh, and, you know, for those, uh, when when something is not like going well or being accepted in a planning process, I typically start to turn towards alternatives and say, let's let's identify what options are then and the pros and cons of of each. And it may take us back to what you started with. It may take you to a compromise. Who knows where it's going to go? Uh, but it's a way to get uh, unstuck from a, a uh, an issue. Unskunked. Unskunked, right? Don't like the skunk because you're going to be able to smell it anyway. So, do you have any humorous stories of skunks gone wrong? Fortunately, not too many. Um, I had one plan that um, we we concluded with a fairly large uh, community workshop and, and people were mad about it. It was, it was, it was a, just a time in the process when uh, folks were unhappy about it. And it was the wrong thing to do to plan this big meeting. We should have done a series of small outreaches or more of a public information approach. Uh, folks were pretty entrenched. So they came to this meeting very fired up and it just made things worse. In Western planner culture, we have an award 
called the Lester Award, where we recognize someone who has, quote unquote, extinguished themselves as planning can be tough, you know. Um, so sometimes humorous, sometimes bizarre, sometimes just hard. The, so the legend of Lester came from Stan Stedman, the founding father of Western Planner. Um, and it's based on a true story of making mistakes, funny or otherwise, uh, and working through our you know crazy issues that we address. Along that vein, in my first <laughs> public meeting as an intern in rural upstate New York, we were facilitating uh, some revitalization planning. So this was a follow-up meeting where we were seeking further input, and I was tasked with organizing various public engagement techniques. And I was so excited. And um, there were about 15 people there. And I had, I, you know, I'd thought this out and I had multiple stations and methods and I had, you know, designed everything and I was all excited. I was just so fresh off of, you know, I was in grad school still. And, and my boss, so he opened the meeting and then he turned the time over to me. And I rubbed my hands together excitedly and I explained how we were going to divide out and each engage with a different aspect of the project and you know rotate around after so many minutes and, and so on. And, and I asked if anyone had any questions. And a guy raises his hand and says, I don't agree with any of this. This plan is garbage. And it totally derailed the entire meeting. And my boss stepped in just to respond to questions. And we were on the defensive for the rest of the evening and never touched a single one of my activities. Yeah, you're not alone, Paul. Uh, I, I've had that experience too, where something right up front derailed basically the, what you had planned, and it's no fun. You just have to roll with it, you know. And I think that goes to the dynamic and energy of a meeting, and sometimes it rolls positive, and other times negative, or just goes in a different direction than we thought. Um, it's finding rocks and avoiding skunks, right? Yeah, and you know uh, you have to be kind of um, a little bit in improv mode. Where if you need to change the meeting, change the meeting, um, and it can change to just a discussion or a venting or an exploration at what is what is behind uh, the crankiness that you might be hearing. Um, who knows whether whether it's going to work. But, but, but if what you had planned isn't going to work, um, then maybe, uh, maybe it's time to change the meeting. Uh, long ago, I played a lot of racquetball, and uh, there was a little saying that said, uh, always change a losing serve. Yeah, that, that seems to speak to the trust you were mentioning earlier. If we're able to meet people where they are, it communicates respect and that we're not imposing, but helping to express um, you know, what they want for their development. Yeah. And trust is, trust is built, in my view, in a, a series of kind of small points of agreement, small experiences that um, help move something forward or make somebody feel listened to. And it, it's, uh, it's built one step at a time. Um, usually the best supported plans are not ones that hatched out of some grand moment of a vote, but, but rather uh, through many small points of agreement. Yes, well said. Um, shifting a little, tell me about your favorite project. 
Well, one of my favorite ones is a recent project. It's the Bend Urban Growth Boundary Project. Um, the city of Bend had been looking at how to um, expand its urban growth boundary. Um, it was a time where there were a lot of property interests and a lot of um, environmental interests that were not on the same page at all. And it led to a proposal that our state planning agency in Oregon um, uh, issued what's called a remand and found a lot of things that needed to be fixed. So they regrouped and uh, said, let's do a uh, inclusive planning process here um, as we try and address all of these uh, changes to what we worked on before. So uh, our consulting team was fortunate enough to win the work. And over the course of a two-ish year process, we, we went from this really negative uh, start of the state has rejected our proposal to uh, a series of small points of agreement on housing need, on the best use of land inside their existing growth boundary, how to grow more up than out before you figure out how much out. Uh, a lot of talk about transportation systems and um, the, um, the different ways to uh, fold in open space and and neighborhood centers and all more of a complete city plan was part of the discussion. Anyway, through a lot of meetings, a lot of memos and, and a lot of drawing and exploration of alternatives, um, there, um, there were um, a series of points of agreement that they wanted to grow with sustainable, um, complete communities on the edge for those areas that they did expand. They wanted to um, find ways to be more efficient about their land and be kind of moving towards a more urban place where appropriate inside the urban growth boundary. And uh, some deals were made between warring factions on certain sides of the, the city. And we were able to knit all of that together into a, an urban growth boundary expansion um, that was, that met all the rules and uh, was accepted by the state. And, but most of all, people came to believe in the process and, uh, and really kind of trusted that this is going the right, right way. We have worked together to find a solution. And so that was pretty gratifying. Um, it was a lot of hard knocks and, uh, some very tense moments at times, but, uh, at the end of the day, uh, they were all baking cookies for each other and, uh, and uh, pretty happy about the outcome. Can you tell me more about the conflict that arose and the divisions and then, and then how you went about solving it through your process? Um, well, one aspect of that was one particular edge of the city of Bend. It's the Western edge where, where the city butts up against um, the uh, national forest lands. It's an area that is particularly prone to um, fire hazards, wildfire hazards, and has a lot of uh, resources as well. 
So to what extent would the city grow in that direction and in what way would it was, was the question. And some property owners wanted to go big. Others um, were um, looking at other alternatives and um, really uh, as much through the community group's own collaboration as what anything we were doing. They had figured out a, um, a way to reach a compromise on the west side of the city. If we only grow to here and we grow in this manner and they adopted transect planning to, uh, to design the, those new neighborhoods, um, then uh, if we do that, we, the uh, folks that have been concerned about these, these resources can support that proposal. So uh, that was a key moment in the process. And um, I'd like to think that, that some of our work set the stage for it, but um, they definitely uh, found ways to reach agreement on their own. And then that was folded into the, um, the urban growth boundary package as a whole. And it gave us more certainty on what to do on the north and the east and the south sides of the city as well. So did you start with that more controversial west side? Oh, it all kind of it all kind of mashed up together at the same time. We did uh, we did scenarios. It was a scenario planning process, and we had run a whole series of them. But it came down to four that were evaluated very seriously and taken through a community feedback process. And one of them was emerging to the top. So this was this was a refinement of one aspect of the preferred alternative that was, that was um, pretty key to it and also started to turn the vibe a little bit towards, boy, if we can agree on that, here's all the other things that we can, we can do in the rest of the community. And we put it all together and it, it was successful. Can you talk more about how you approached the urban growth boundary using the transect method, looking at that wildfire interface, given that that area and you know, and how in, intertwined and the, the, the built and forested environments are in, in Western Bend? It, it was, yeah. So in this particular um, part of the city, what the transect said was, we're gonna be more dense um, with apartments and middle housing and, and single family neighborhoods um, close in to where the city was already growing. And then as we moved out into the expansion areas, we'd get a little bit uh, less dense. And then finally at the edge, the wildfire interface, the closest to the national forest was basically large lot residential, um, which was better for fire um, uh, mitigation, uh, better for wildlife moving through and um, that's how the transect went in that particular context. So what about this project did you really love? Well, the, the project aspects that I've described um, was, uh, w was part of that. I enjoyed the, the consensus building and, and watching and being a part of this community go from a lot of difficulties in in sorting out these problems to uh, a collaborative 
uh, better way, a happier way of talking with each other and figuring out these solutions. So that, that was all the professional planning part. Uh, what also made it uh, great was that Bend is just a wonderful place to be. And even though the planning issues might cause conflicts and people getting feisty with each other, uh, the people that live there are just really great folks. And so it's a good setting to do planning in. It's beautiful. It's, it was a nice place to work. Uh, so between the, the people, the place, and, and the process, uh, kind of all three of them were, were, were pretty good. Is there anything unique or interesting about yourself that you'd like to share? Yeah, well, when I'm not, uh, when I'm not working as a planner, I'm, I'm playing music. So that's what I enjoy. Uh, we've got a band called Big Plans couple of planners in the band, uh, but uh, we play blues music and um, I just love doing that. I look forward to getting back to doing it <laughs> in, in public venues. So uh, that is uh, a long-term interest of mine and, and will carry on into retirement as one of the main things I do. Uh, other than that, um, you know, I love to cook. So uh, food is, is a big thing uh, for me, and we live here in uh, in a in the Willamette Valley in Portland area, where uh, there is just fantastic local everything. Uh, so, those are my two main kind of personal interests. I do a lot of bike riding when I can. Well, that's about all the time we have, Joe. Uh, thanks so much again for your time and for your work that you do. Um, and again, congratulations on the 2020 uh, Planner of the Year Award from Western Planner and, and just keep in touch. Well, I, I mean, I'm really deeply appreciative of the, of the honor and the award and um, it, uh, it sort of matches into uh, a really great set of projects and experiences I've had here in the last uh, you know, part of my career. So thanks to everybody. And um, I, I, I really appreciate the award. Thank you, Joe. And thanks to everyone. That was Joe Dills, Senior Project Manager for Angelo Planning Group. And that wraps up this episode. Check out our website where you can get more great planning content at westernplanner.org. While there, you can sign up for our e-journal, which is written by planners for planners. Follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram, and join us next month. In the meanwhile, let's keep building up the West together. Thanks. And by the way, the track playing with this episode is Coming Home Baby by Big Plans, which is Joe Dill's blues band. Um, we're very thankful that he shared that with us and hope you all enjoyed it. Take care.